Welcome back. I am speaking to Dr. Grace Ting, who is a professor at the University of Hong Kong, specializing in queer feminist approaches to Japanese literature and cultural studies. But we're talking about the transnational kind of connections in addressing how, how to make sense of, of racism that we see today here in the States. And in fact, where it stems and connects to Asia. And Grace, you, you're living in Hong Kong now, but you were from the States and you, you lived in Japan for some time. Can you just maybe share how you feel about, you know, you mentioned earlier about teaching in your class. How do you get your Hong Kong students to kind of relate to or resonate with what's these, these anti-Asian sentiments in the States? You know, what does it mean to be Asian American and to even, um, you know, I, in my, all my years living in Hong Kong, I felt like there was a, there was a big difference between the way Asians thought and how Asians think of Asian Americans. Like they categorize them as something different. I was always the other, I was always an outsider. It was a very <laughs> interesting um, dynamic, you know, cause I was like, I got away with some things that I wouldn't have if I were local, but at the same time, they never really accepted me as local because of my lack of um, proper Chinese and maybe my mannerisms that kind of informed them that I was a little bit more, um, like, I don't want to say inappropriate, but my outspokenness, somehow they equate it as being American. Like they use that as the excuse for me saying things and it wasn't my, it had to do with my personality or anything. So I'm just interested to hear what you have to say from a transnational perspective on this Asian, Asian American concept. Sure. Um, I am wondering like, what is proper Chinese? What do you mean you didn't speak proper Chinese? Like, is there some really like, beautiful formal Cantonese that people are speaking that I should know. Well, compared to what I know, because for, you know, I, I moved to Hong Kong in, in I, I was thrown in the film industry. And so my whole exposure to Hong Kong people after growing up half of my um, time in San Francisco and half in Hong Kong um, was hanging out with people like the stuntmen in Jackie Chan's sets who would teach me only bad words and slang. <laughs> So I wouldn't know when I say I don't know proper. I mean I don't know proper. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the proper way or the, the the formal or, you know, just yeah, a little bit more sophisticated way of saying things. And so, again, I would say things wrong on my talk show back then, and I didn't know I was saying something wrong because I didn't wasn't educated with that. The problem. Yeah. I just find this funny because I've been told that like the real Cantonese that I need to learn first is like all the dirty stuff. Right? That's right. <laughs> Where I'm like, but but I don't, I'm not interested. And then, you know, the other person is like, yes, but what if someone calls you something really nasty and you don't know? <laughs> like, what would you do when you're like- tons of those Cantonese slangs, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry for getting us off track. <laughs> how, how, no, that's good though. How, how, how is your Cantonese? Would you be able to distinguish if somebody was saying something negative? <laughs> uh, I think if someone is swearing at you, like all you need to recognize is like the body language and the sort of tone of voice, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can't imagine anyone swearing at you. But... I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so uh, sorry. So your question was about like my experience, like moving between the US and Japan and Hong Kong. Yeah, like, you know, the where do, where do you, because you're kind of also in a blurry position where you're like Asian American, but you've been in Asia for, you know, enough time to, and that's why I say transnational, because I feel like it's not really either or, and recognizing and understanding the culture from both places deeply, right? Yeah, um, so I think this is, 
this is a sort of difficult question to answer in like a concise way, but, uh, you know, for example, when I'm, uh, when I'm teaching about sort of transnational issues, like when I was teaching about Batman shootings to my students, um, or when I was teaching about, you know, uh, sort of quote unquote comfort women issues, um, which often has to do with like tensions between like Korea and Japan and whatever else. So I do want students to like sort of see these events as very historically specific and like unique in a way to sort of understand them as these, these histories that, um, that happen outside of Hong Kong. But I feel like I'm always trying to make this sort of double movement and having them understand that this is like this sort of other history that they need to learn about like um, on different terms. So not thinking about like race in the US through like um, a Hong Kong understanding of race, but like understanding what race is in the US and, and this type of thing. What so is always Hong Kong, sorry, just wanna clarify, what do you think, what do you mean by a Hong Kong version of understanding race? Uh, for example, uh, I've heard people use the term people of color in Hong Kong to refer to non-Han Chinese, right? right. So, but, um, but people of color in the US means non-white. Non so uh, I think there are all sorts of, um, I, I wouldn't say racial hierarchies are, are flipped around, but there are ways in which, like if you come from a US background the way I do, they're complicated when you come to Hong Kong. Because it's also not as if white people don't exist in Hong Kong either, right? Um, but, but I think like I'm always trying to have students understand like a specific historical context that they might not be familiar with. But at the same time, I also want them to connect in some way, to have empathy because they can relate uh, the sort of injustice that's happening to um, marginalized people somewhere else to what they're experiencing, what they might be experiencing in Hong Kong. So um, I think my way of doing this is definitely related to how I've moved between different contexts. So uh, being East Asian, like in the US, um, then being, I guess I would describe myself in Japan as being uh, Taiwanese, like being Taiwanese in Japan, um, where I think there definitely is a sort of racial hierarchy in which um, uh, historically speaking, um, the sort of other Asians are, are looked down upon in some way, right? Yeah. And then coming to Hong Kong, where uh, I am for the first time uh, basically part of the racial or ethnic majority. And so what's been complicated for me, especially, um, I mean, really just over the past year because of everything, because of, of everything that's, that's happening with racism in the U.S., is to think, like, to whom uh, am I really accountable, right? So like if I'm on, I'm not really political or like really active on social media, but if I'm speaking up on social media or, you know, or whatever else, like, should this be about anti-Black racism in the US? Like, is, should that be the focus at certain times? Um, what does that mean for people in like Japan or people in Hong Kong where there are other types of racism and xenophobia that might be more urgent, right? That might be problems that need more attention. So. For example, I'm thinking about how I'm accountable to Hong Kong as someone who's teaching and um, living here. Uh, when I was on a panel talking about that Vantage shootings, I really wanted it not to be just about um, East Asian or possibly Southeast Asian women in the US. Uh, because I, I felt like 
you know, for some people that that would be sort of interesting or um, valuable to learn about as something happening like, you know, outside of Hong Kong. But but I hope that they could take uh, that Hong Kongers could also take this incident and think more about racism and xenophobia within Hong Kong as well. So, uh, you know, like to put it in a very simple way, I think the way uh, that South Asians or Southeast Asians in Hong Kong are treated is absolutely deplorable and really horrifying. So, um, but, but yeah, so moving back and forth or even now, like I'm in Hong Kong, but I'm sort of like, through social media and through my networks, like I'm tied to people in Japan. So I'm sort of like hearing about, you know, horrific xenophobia and racism happening over there, like in the US. And so I I constantly feel like, you know, of course it's like the spotlight effect where maybe like no one really cares what I'm doing, but but I sort of care about how I try to be accountable to like all of these different places at once. Yeah, I mean, like having moved back to the States for about six years now, I feel, like I'm still grappling with how US culture works and why race is always an issue in everything we do here. I didn't see that for all the, you know, the 25 years I was living in Hong Kong. I mean, I recognized racism within, like you were saying, the Hong Kong context, but it wasn't like in everything, every issue we address that stems back to that. And I never really understood the roots of the country until I'm digging up all this research for my documentary. I never, and this kind of goes back to that whole awakening of, and also the rise of Asian American voices is that we really don't know our history here. We don't know the connect of of between um, Black history and Asian American history. And we don't see the connection between the anti-Asian hate crimes here in the States to imperialism, colonialism, militarism, right, in, in, in Asia. And all this stuff is starting to percolate a little bit. Like, I think some people are trying to get it like, oh, yeah, I never thought about it. Oh, and then, you know, then there's like, teaching moments, right? Like you can, in school, I don't know, like for me, I think about all these films in Hollywood, if we can just unpack those old films that depict Asians, that's just enough there to even just start a a starting point, right? To discuss what the problems were. But I feel like, I don't know why, I don't know why I didn't understand so much. Do you think it's because of the way we're educated or the way society works so that all this stuff, especially as an Asian, when it comes to racism is you sweep it under the rug. You know, we talked about the model minority. We don't talk about it because we don't want to, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for your experience at all, but I feel like in my case, first, like it's definitely a matter of privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it has to do with the fact that uh, although I didn't find like the sort of environment in which I grew up particularly friendly per se, it wasn't it wasn't so bad that I couldn't sort of sweep it under the rug to some extent, um, and and or at least like my parents were not humiliated to to that extent in front of me that this sort of racism really hit me head on, um, but but I also you know, I think about why, like, I went into Asian studies, like, mm-hmm. why I went to Japanese studies, and I think I'm sure that, you know, I, I, I'm very sure that when I was an adolescent, like, when I was growing up surrounded by all this whiteness, I just wanted to escape, mm-hmm. right? So my way of doing that was I started teaching myself Japanese. Um, I actually improved my Chinese because I wanted to access Japanese culture through, like, 
Taiwanese translations of various wow. things. Yeah. Right. And so I had this sort of, and I suppose I sort of idolized like certain types of Asian popular culture. And, um, and I just, I wanted to be an East Asian. Like I, I wished I had grown up in Taiwan because I felt like I would have fit in better. Huh. But I think going into Asian studies was also a very particular sort of thing because it's not like uh, like racism against Asians or white supremacy doesn't exist in Asian studies. Um, if we look at like the origins of something like Japanese studies, like it's, it's from the Cold War period, right? And there's also this history that people have talked about just like not a very like pleasant or nice thing to talk about, but where um, the field was started by essentially white men who were often very privileged, who would um, have these uh, positions at like Columbia, Harvard or whatnot. And they would often have like um, a Japanese wife, like an Asian wife oh, who yeah. would help them with like language and whatever else. And so I think like in the 21st century, like by the time I became a graduate student and then got my PhD, like this is the type of thing that white male scholars in my field will joke about. Like they'll say, oh, isn't it funny that this used to happen? But at the same time, um, when they're drinking or when <laughs> they think they're in some sort of safe space, like of the old boys club, uh -huh. like they will, like they'll just replicate this, right? Like, um, exactly. and so, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I'm just thinking that's just, go ahead. Right, so I think um, in a weird sense, like being an Asian in Asian studies, uh, I've been sort of gaslighted in thinking, oh, of course, like I wouldn't experience racism, right? But if we consider the history of, of East Asian studies, like there's no, of course. And it also, you know, I was thinking recently, did, did anyone ever ask me like if I experienced racism or xenophobia in Japan, like as someone who- Right, you're um, an outsider, is, is Taiwanese American, did anyone ever care? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, because the sort of model for being like a Japanese studies scholar who was getting a PhD in the US was that you were white and male. And so this was never the type of conversation that came up either. Right. And what is it with the white male scholars entering this Asian space and wanting to do Asian studies? Like, what is what is it like is does this does this reinforce that whole fascination and orientalism and exoticism of it and of course no one's going to admit it right no white male scholar is going to say yeah i really kind of have yellow fever and that's why i'm doing this but what does it say about the hierarchy within even like asian studies see we don't have asian studies at uh um i find that surprising but you know and at the same time not but you know i i just i have a problem with like even, okay, <laughs> I have a problem with like um, white, okay, this is gonna sound so rude. <laughs> you know, like, like when I watch films and I'm so sensitive about that, like when, when a white guy is doing a documentary and directing something about Asians, where does he stand on that? Why does he get to represent us? But then I shouldn't say that because at the same time, we shouldn't be judging people based on their color for their uh, knowledge and understanding of something. But at the same time, 
how much do you have to be coming from something to be able to recognize certain things that you just can't learn from books, right? You know, especially with like black pop culture and things like that. Um, the De friends, I always love quoting um, him is he always said, you know, who can speak? Like who has the right? You know, you talk about hip hop, what white person has the right to really, to own that, that movement? It, there yeah. are, there are, you can cross the line, you know? Yeah. Let, let's I pause on this for a second. Let's, let's <laughs> sure. come back because I think I'm getting like myself in trouble here. 